Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creating Magic Podcast, the podcast where we do not, in fact, create magic, but we talk about things that are magical and the conversations are magical. So I guess we kind of do create magic. I talked myself into that one. Anywho, with the exception of about a 20 second span very early on in the episode, we really don't talk about Harry Potter here. Uh, But that is because today we are speaking with one of my very closest friends in the world, someone I've known for her entire life, for the overwhelming majority of my life, um, author E.J. Schwartz, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will have heard me uh, promote E.J. and her upcoming book before we were blue multiple times in uh, episodes earlier this year. Uh, Before we dive into the conversation, just want to point out, A, that we're not talking any explicitly about Harry Potter, you know, technically this is a Harry Potter podcast, so fair enough. Uh, but B, EJ's book, as she explains in an author's note at the start of the book, um, also on her website, um, deals with some potentially sensitive topics. So uh, we don't get too deep into any of these on the podcast, but we do mention them. So figured it was worth giving this content warning in advance um, that we do reference eating disorders, sexual assault. Um, and suicide, super briefly. Um, so it, it quite literally happens in like a 30-second span, maybe about two-thirds of the way through the episode. Um, if that's not your thing, completely understandable. Um, otherwise, enjoy our episode. Today we are here with Steven. Y'all, I do not have an air conditioner in my apartment because I am too cheap to purchase one of those window units. And because we are podcasting and I attempt once in a blue moon to be a, you know, decent podcast host, I turned off my little fan that I have. So I am sweating bullets, not solely because it is hot in here, but also because I am excited to speak with today's guest. Um, She is the author of Before We Were Blue. Uh, In this book, we will meet characters Shoshana Winnick and Rowan Parrish at Recovery and Relief, a treatment center for girls with eating disorders. The book comes out September 14th. She is a recent graduate from the MFA program at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Go Seahawks, if I remember my local colleges uh, correctly. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Ghost Parachute, and Necessary Fiction, among others. She was born and raised in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Again, the novel is Before We Were Blue, coming out September 14th. The most important thing I can tell you about her, beyond the fact that she's a wonderful human, is that our mothers grew up neighbors and to this day remain best friends. What more can I say about today's guest, EJ Schwartz? EJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Danny, was that the best slash most professional opening I've ever given? That was, I was actually concerned that you weren't going to ever say her name. No, I, you do, you do what's called, I forget, I don't know the exact terminology for it, but I've listened to enough real podcasts where that's how you do it. No, come on, we're not real. Uh, come on. We've talked about erotic Harry Potter fanfic on here before. We're not real. This feels very real. This feels very professional. It was the most <laughs> professional I've ever been. Um, well, EJ, truly, it's a pleasure. The listeners will have heard your name before. Um, because I have plugged the book many times in recent months on creating magic. Um, but yeah, we're, we're excited to talk about the book and all things before we were blue. But before we get there, let's talk all things EJ. 
Um, growing up, what were the types of books, television shows? What, what type of content were you engaging with as a kid? Mm, uh, good question. I think I, I think I was engaging with a lot of different books when I was young. I was a very ferocious reader. Uh, I loved a lot of the classic books, like the Judy Bloom books that my mom would give to me or she would read to me before I went to bed. So I was really like a, uh, an avid reader from the start. And I think, of course, we can get into like why I wanted to write and things like that. Um, but I loved there was a series called The Doll People by Anna Martin and Laura Godwin. And it was like about these dolls that came to life a little bit Toy Story like. And I just flipped for that series. Um, if the dolls got caught in the middle of like moving and a human spotted them, they would either get, if I'm remembering correctly, because I read this, you know, a thousand years ago, but they would have to freeze or they would like essentially be frozen forever. And the rest of the doll people would have to wait approximately, you know, those 24 hours before they knew whether that person was that doll was frozen for good. So that was a series in particular that I really just like latched on to. I have a distinct memory of sleeping over your house in Scotch Plains and your brother, Andrew and I were, we were I, Danny, what year did Goblet of Fire come out? Book, not movie. 2001-ish, I think. I think it was Brigadoon this year. Really? I thought it was... Anywho, that, that's hide nor hair. I distinctly recall having a sleepover with Andrew, and we were both tucked into that guest bedroom bed. Mm-hmm. And your mother had just purchased Goblet of Fire for Andrew, and he was reading it, and I didn't have a book to read. And I don't remember what the hell I was doing. But I distinctly have this... the vibrant memory because Goblet of Fire is this green cover, the green um, thing that goes over the books. Jacket. Jacket. There we go. Um, Anywho, I I distinctly recall that. Um, 2000. Oh, wow. I definitely wasn't reading it then. So maybe it was a couple years later, but regardless, uh, that's a memory I have. As you were growing up, was there a trend line in the books that you found yourself enjoying, be it genre, be it types of characters, be it uh, the, 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 the scenery, kind of the, the, the physical location of it all? Is there anything that stands out thinking back? It's funny because I, I do remember that. I mean, I, I'm sure you slept over my house a lot growing up as a kid. And I'm pretty sure my dad was reading those books too, uh, all three of us at the time. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I mean, the other things that I was reading at the time were like the doll people. I think later I got into like the city of Ember, but I really liked like adventure books and I liked um, the magic tree house things where it was very much like we're going on a journey, we're escaping the natural world. I mean, I was such a imaginative kid that I really got it. This is so embarrassing, but I think even in middle school, I was convinced that I could like turn myself into a mermaid. And that's like pretty late in the game. Uh, But I would like try and, you know, get candles or I'd go to like spell.com in like fourth grade and try to like 
do spells in school to get good grades. Like I was just, I always wanted to believe that there was like some kind of greater magic out there. And so like Harry Potter was like a classic and um, even like the Percy Jackson series, like things where it's very much like here are these other elements and these other things that come into play that make me feel like my regular life can some sort of structured narrative. I think that was important to me growing up to feel like, I mean, everyone wants to kind of feel like the hero of their own story or like the main character. And so any book that made me feel like, you know, oh, I relate to this character, even though they're in this magical world or um, science fiction books and things like that. uh, I think I gravitated to those pretty heavily. I think you can definitely turn yourself into a mermaid still. (laughs) Yeah. My book reading seems to be very much similar to what yours was, minus the fact I am not okay with dolls. They creep me out. Mm. There, I have, there's a really creepy doll in my grandma's house that I just like can't, and I I can understand uh, the fear of them. (laughs) So from has your reading habits, well, obviously they've changed as you got an older, but I know that like mine are kind of like adjacent to what I read as a child. Has your reading changed or just expanded? My reading has changed a lot and it's changed a lot because I've been in the academic literary sphere for a while. I went to Susquehanna University in undergrad and I studied creative writing there. Uh, I got a minor in publishing. I went on to get my MFA, which I just graduated from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And the academic creative writing uh, community is not genre friendly. And that's one of my biggest, when I'm thinking about workshops that I've been in, if people hand in genre pieces, be it science fiction or fantasy or uh, magical realism, any kind of genre romance, like it doesn't matter if it's not literary writing, it's pretty hard to find support for that in the academic community. So one of my biggest like faults with MFA programs or like literary programs is kind of that they want to starve you of that love that you had as a kid growing up or that love of reading that you had for uh, certain books. Now I look at as books that are not well written enough for me to sit down and read them or enjoy them. And that's just ludicrous. Like I should be able to sit down with any book and not pick it apart the way that the creative writing academic community sort of has trained me to. So my writing has changed. My reading has changed, but I'm trying to almost unlearn some of the things that I've learned. I'm really grateful for how far my writing has come. Um, I don't feel like I am like my absolute best or have hit my potential by any means, but I know my writing is stronger now, but at the same time, I know that reading comes a lot harder to me now. And one thing that I I just got a gift from Steven and he sent me um, 
the uh, how do you pronounce it, Stephen? A Qatar? A, a Court of Thorns and Roses, which is yeah. the book that I am giving to absolutely anybody and everybody <laughs> who I know would appreciate a good book. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Okay, so yeah, but how do you pronounce the abbreviated version, Stephen? Oh, Danny, I'm uh, going to defer to you. And I'm pretty sure people just call it Akatar. Akatar. Okay, I would have went. Oh, what would I have went? A Kotar? I don't know. It, it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Please a continue. Of, a core of thorns and roses. And um, oh wait, did I just say that wrong? A core of no, I had it right. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I do the same thing. I stumble over that title all the time. It's a little bit of a like a tongue twister, and I like long titles. But uh, yeah. Anyway, I started that, and it's it's one of the first books in a really long time that I don't find myself sort of workshopping as I go, meaning like, oh, you know, this line could have done this, or I wish that this chapter ended this way. And as a writer, I feel like that's how your brain sort of works is uh, figuring out how to make stories better. But I don't find myself doing that with this book. And I've really enjoyed sort of losing myself in a more magical world because a lot of the things that we're reading in the MFA program are very based in, uh, they're realistic fiction. So they're not, there's no uh, beasts or fairies or things like that, that I'm really enjoying now in that series. I know that you went to Susquehanna for creative writing. So obviously you had an inkling at the time, but was there like a crystallization moment where you said, hey, not only do I think I want to do this, but I think I can do this, right? Because I guess I I suppose anybody could be a writer of sorts, but you know, to, to be able to, to publish a novel, to get an MFA, right? It takes a certain level of practice, dedication, skill, et cetera. So, you know, was there a moment or a, a point in time where it, it went from something you you did as purely an expressive outlet to something that you said, Hey, I, I want to, you know, focus my life on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In high school, I think I, I just loved writing. I mean, I would not want to hang out with my friends so that I could go home and just write another like chapter of whatever book I was working on at the time. And I would, in my like health classes in my math classes, I would sit at the back and actually in my math class, I would sit at the back writing and not so my mom had to hire me a tutor who would come each week for one hour and teach me the whole week that I had missed because I just wanted to be writing and I didn't care about anything else. But I don't think I really knew that I could quote unquote do it until I was applying for colleges and I was planning to go to the University of Maryland. I'd actually sent in my deposit. And then I had gotten a letter from Susquehanna University with a scholarship to the creative writing program that was based on the portfolio I sent in of like, maybe it was like 12 pages of writing. And the fact that they saw some sort of potential in my writing where it was like, we think you could do this made me be like, I really want to do this. And I remember I was in gym class at the time because I had already like, essentially put down my deposit at Maryland and and said no to Susquehanna. And then I called Susquehanna back and I was like, is there any chance that I can like re-accept this offer? And 
they let me do it. So that's kind of the story of me deciding like, okay, they think I have potential. Maybe I do. And then I went in really confident my friend uh, into the creative writing courses. And one of my professors like basically put a huge X through every single page of mine in front of the class, which sounds really bad, but it was something I needed so much because I really thought, oh my God, I'm going to be like the next big, great writer. And I think I needed to be taken down like 20 pegs so that I could figure out like, okay, where's, where's my writing like actually, and where should, where does it need improvement? Like I never used to write about setting. I was like, I would just picture the characters. And then I was like, well, people will just imagine it for themselves. And it's like, setting should really be its own character. So I'm grateful to the, the, that creative writing community and all of my professors who really worked to show me how much potential my writing had, but also like where the gaps were and how to sort of fill those in for myself. I'm curious, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, throughout your MFA, you were a TA. Yes, right. So how, how was your style of TAing, which isn't a thing, but it's a phrase that I'll, I'll, I'll use here. How was that altered between kind of what you explained earlier in terms of kind of a lot of the conventional norms and confinement of creative writing and what it means to, to pursue literary creative writing, as well as your experiences throughout undergrad in a creative writing program where you definitely had some uh, lessons in humility, I guess would be a good way to put it. Yeah. I keep forgetting we're doing a podcast because I'm like nodding my head and I need to say yes vocally. But I think teaching has been such an eye opener to the different ways that like pedagogical uh, theories and things like that, that I've read up on, especially with like workshopping and how people come into the workshop with preconceived notions on what other sh people should be writing. And if other people are writing things that uh, maybe the majority are not used to reading, then th that person might sort of feel backed up into a corner. So I try to, especially in workshops, make sure that the priority is always on what the writer wants to get out of it. So for example, I know that some people, um, some teachers, some TAs, some professors, doesn't matter what level, will just say absolutely no genre work in a workshop. And I'm definitely not one of them. So I want people to come in and write what they want to write. And my job as the professor is to make sure that that person who's coming in and being workshopped leaves the workshop feeling motivated about editing their work and about like potentially publishing their work or just going back to it because I never want someone to come in and then be workshopped and then leave and think, well, God, I shouldn't be a writer. I mean, that to me like rips my heart out just to, just to even think of my students feeling that way. And I was really so happy at the end of the semester, you know, I get all my reviews and stuff. And I had several of my students say, you know, in, in previous workshops, I had really bad experiences. But in this class, like, I got my confidence back as a writer. 
And for me, it's like, if I teach my students like a couple different technique things and give them more confidence, that's way better to me than teaching them like 20 different things. And then like putting their confidence in like, you know, the trash chute. So it's something you have to really think about. And I, it weighs on me a lot, just knowing that my students, especially my intro to fiction classes, where I will ask at the beginning of the semester, who wants to be a writer full time? And 90% of them raise their hands. And it's like, okay, I have almost a duty to tell them and show them the things that I've learned throughout my time uh, learning and at Susquehanna at UNCW, but I also don't want to strip them of what they love now. And I feel like a little, a little sour that I was stripped a little bit of, of those things that I used to love to read and the things I used to love to write. Speaking of things that I believe you love writing, and, and this will be my last question for now. And before I give it to Danny, who has, as we established previously, uh, read at least 40% of your book thus far. Um, I know one of the things I enjoy of yours is your one-line Wednesdays on Twitter. Um, do you want to talk about the inspiration behind those and, and uh, yeah, what, what those are? Yeah, one-line Wednesdays were originally an idea given to me by my agent who I was trying to be like, I don't know how to build a following on Twitter in the book world. And like, I, I'm just, I'm a small kind of creator, I guess, or small writer. And I'm just starting my journey and I'm going to have an indie book published. So it's not going to be this huge, big five book. And a lot of that means doing my own marketing and things like that. But I started One Line Wednesdays um, even before I knew that the book was going to be published. And what it is, is you tweet out like one line, two lines each Wednesday with the hashtag one, like the numeral one line Wednesday, or I think Wednesday is abbreviated to just W-E-D. And you can go ahead and just click on that hashtag and read other lines from people's work in that, uh, in that section of Twitter. I guess I don't know what it's called, but <laughs> yeah, in that, in that, uh, compiled list of people's one line Wednesdays. And for me, what it's been is like a little bit of a pat on the back for just doing the work of like, these are some of the lines that I've written this week that I feel good about and letting those like pushing those into the world because it's really scary. I think to put your work out there. I'm just someone who I'll turn in work for a workshop, but I mean, I've had numerous writer friends who are like, let me look at your writing or they want to, I'll talk about writing all day, but I don't want to show my actual work. And that stems from a lot of like insecurity or like feeling like things aren't good enough or ready yet. And One Line Wednesday is just the opportunity to put a little bit of myself and my work out there without it feeling like there's such big stakes on it. I would encourage anyone who like wants to be a writer to, to try and look that up and, and join in if they want. Is this your first published book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's my first published book before we were blue. Wait, before Danny goes, I lied. I have another question. Mm -hmm. When you were starting at UNCW, I have 
strong memories of you continually writing to meet more uh, word count goals and all this stuff. Was that before we were blue or is that something completely different? At that point, it was probably something. Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard because there's been overlap. So um, there's been overlap with editing my book with my agent and then editing it again with my editor. And that was right around the time that I probably was trying to get it ready for agents. So I might've been editing it myself, but it's quite possible uh, that I was writing something else entirely. I've started about like six books that have all made it to the hundred page mark and have not kind of gotten over that hill. So it might have been one of those. So let's start there with where this book started from, like where your process started and why you decided to share the story. Yeah. So I I guess I'd quickly tell like listeners, like the elevator pitch that I give, which is just that it's about two girls in a treatment center for eating disorders who are deciding whether they want to get healthy and go home and be separated from one another or stay in the treatment center and be sick together. Uh, That's the very quick spiel. So the inspiration came from a lot of different things. A lot of it is based off of my life, partly. I think, uh, I know we talked earlier before we started recording about my dad reading my book for the first time. But when he says Shoshana, or should say Shoshana, one of my main characters, he says you when he's when he's talking about me. And I just keep having to, having to correct him being like Shoshana, dad, Shoshana. But a lot of it came from like certain documentaries I watched and certain research I did. So it's kind of a hodgepodge. There's a, a quote that I'm going to butcher, but it's something about how your debut novel is the culmination of like everything in your life that has happened up until that point. And for me, there's just so many little tiny details that are in the book that are my real life. So one of them, for example, is Shoshana um, taking a sip of tequila at summer camp to like call her mom and tell her. And that happened to me where I was at my Jewish sleepaway camp and basically, um, sorry, I had, I was at my Jewish sleepaway camp and was offered a sip of tequila. And I tried, I tried one sip and, um, we were all caught with it and had to call our parents and it's little details, like a lot of little details that have worked their way into the book. I don't think the overall structure is my life. Um, but those, those tiny little things that are just weaved in are pretty much me from both Shoshana and Rowan. I'm really excited to be able to read this book on September 14th, um, which I will do. Have no fear. I have a copy coming to my house. I have a copy going to Danny's house. I have a copy going to at least two or three other places. Um, I'm really excited because I, I certainly, I've known you quite literally since you were born, um, but you know, we've been close for a long time. And so I'm excited to be able to read it and dissociate the characters from the author, of course, 
But to your point, understanding that a lot of this is a culmination of your lived experience thus far. You know, mm -hmm. certainly over the past, let's call it six to eight years, you have changed and grown and and developed as a person, right? In so many different ways. I'm excited to be able to see where those different things are, are sprinkled in throughout the story. Where, right, not, I guess not where, but when did the characters, when did the story first start to appear in your mind? So I was at Susquehanna University and I took a, a short story writing class with my professor Silas Zobel and it was there that I started writing it. And originally it was a short story or I thought it was going to be a short story. And I saw the, the girls first. I heard the girls first. I think that the book is a lot about like teenage girl rage and just like fury and confusion and codependency and those were things that I was like really dealing with at the time in college. I was in a sorority I really didn't like. I was just angry. And so I kind of wrote that into the book, especially with my character Rowan, who is a very flawed character to put it lightly, but she has those feelings that I was feeling where she's just like kind of angry at the world. So I think a, a lot of the inspiration was based off of feeling almost more than necessarily what I wanted to happen in the book. I just knew the girls. So I knew Shoshana. I knew Rowan. I knew that they were both sort of parts of me. And then they were also very different from me at the same time. Shoshana has a background of being a competitive cheerleader and that's my background pretty much uh, to a T. There was a reality show that I was going to be on at some point and uh, it ended up falling through. I, Steven, you're looking at me like you're not sure <laughs> what's going on, but uh, I can, you know, I, I'm not gonna say the name of any, any certain teams. I'm not looking to get sued. Uh, but when, was, when you said when you said reality show, I thought you meant like Amazing Race or Jersey Shore or something. I'm like, what the hell did I miss? Where was that? Okay, no, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. It was it was um, it was based around competitive cheerleading, right? And now there's Cheer on Netflix, which is not the show, uh, but that has really I think opened up people's eyes to the world of competitive cheerleading and how intense and pressure heavy it can be. So I kind of just bumped up, barely even though, uh, things that I was feeling in that world uh, for Shoshana's character. So Shoshana's a lot like me in that way where she has the competitive cheerleading uh, aspect. There's a scene in the book where she has to uh, flip over another person in the middle of their cheerleading routine. And that is exactly based off of an experience I had where I was supposed to flip over one of the smaller girls on our team uh, at the time. So yeah, Shoshana is very based off like that part of me. And also I think a lot of my Judaism and my confusion with being Jewish as like a young middle school, high school girl in Hebrew school, like feeling like, oh my God, the world just like hates Jews and like I don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, that kind of part of Shoshana is there as well. 
and Rowan is just uh, the angrier, <laughs> the angrier version of me and, and a bunch of other people, of course, like. I was going to ask, does the B'nai Mitzvah of the century make it, its appearance in these books? Because let me, listeners, let me tell you, um, if you, like EJ and I, are Northeast Jews, uh, Bar and Bat Mitzvahs, B'nai Mitzvah, are a massive event, um, both in terms of the spiritual and figurative meaning of the word, but also quite literally in the production value of the Bar and Bat Mitzvah. And EJ's Bat Mitzvah party was insane. It was insane. I, 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 there were, can I talk about this? Yes. There were like, they were introduced. It's like the party's going and it's lit and like there's a DJ doing his thing and it's like in this massive ballroom at like a Hilton. And like she and her brother, EJ and her brother Andrew did a B'nai Mitzvah together. So they had their party together because they're like a year apart in age, like 15 I was like something. I was like 12 at the time, yeah. Right. And so they get announced into the party. And keep in mind, Bar Bat Mitzvah happened when EJ's 12, Andrew's 13. Like, we're all, like, middle schoolers. And and they're brought into the party by basically strippers. I think dancer probably is the more accurate term. But these were half-clothed, very physically fit men and women who were leading into a room full of all of, like, our elderly forefathers and mothers. And, you know, like, the Burkows were there. And they're just a bunch of strippers. It was wild. It's like 13-year-old me, it, it was insane. It's like indelibly uh, seared into my mind. <laughs> yeah, I was I was 12 at the time. So I didn't really know. One of the funny things I remember was I wanted to come out, like walk out to the song that's like, I'm coming out, you know? I want the world to know. I want the world to know I'm coming out. And then my mom was like, well, um, <laughs> she's like, well, that actually like me would mean coming out of the closet and we didn't end up using it. And then I like turned out to be like queer anyway, like years like later figuring that out. But, uh, yeah, it was certainly a big bash and it was, my mom would say like, you know, it was so big because we did it conjoined like me and my brother. So, the fact that we have so much family up in Canada and people coming, but yeah, looking back, it was absolutely crazy. I'm so like, I, I remember wanting it to be a really big party and I'm just so not that person now, which is hilarious to me too. Like, I think I, I, I was so consumed with the idea of like a big party changing my life in the same way that, you know, we talked about some of those uh, sci-fi books or fantasy books where it's like, here's the event that changes the the main character's life. And I, I remember thinking that having that big party that people could come to would make think that I was like cooler than I was or like, would, would help me gain traction in some sort of way. I mean, I was 12 years old. I just wanted to like fit in and be, you know, the, the popular girl at school, which I never was. Like, I definitely thought that that was going to change my life. And looking back, I mean, when I look at pictures, I look so young there. I mean, you know, I have my mouth full of braces and, I just like look at myself up on the Bema, like reading. And I, I like flash back to reading from the Torah because I lost my place at one point 
and I was just like mortified. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, I did not write that into Shoshana's like sections exactly, but it pretty much, because again, there's so much of her that is me, it would fit her slash her family to kind of throw that big, that big festivity around her and make her the center of attention. Without spoiling any of the book that, again, Danny is already 40% of the way through that I will fully read on September 14th. Mm-hmm. How does, if at all, your, uh, what all phrase, rightfully or wrongfully, is kind of up and down experience with Judaism growing up play into Shoshana's character in, in the book? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, it's something I've wrestled with a lot because uh, I've gotten like so many great positive reviews for the book. And I've gotten like two that were commenting on um, anti-Semitism from other characters in the book who are not Shoshana. And it was interesting to me to read those reviews and really like think about it and give them good consideration. Like I always want to be a good listener and I want to, I want to think about like what I'm writing and what I'm trying to say. And I'm, I am writing from my own like point of view from the Judaism, you know, own voices side of it. Um, And the reason why I was sort of confused by those reviews were because I, they didn't seem to get what I was doing in terms of the anti-Semitism for me was the point in that um, the like, and this is not really like spoilers or anything. It's just like the, the cheerleading coach being anti-Semitic towards Shoshana um, is something that was very real for me in terms of like Shoshana gets called bagels and locks from her tumbling coach and that was what I was called on the team that I was on and I suppose in the book right I didn't write it where I came down hard on the coaches mainly because I want all my characters to remain really like nuanced and I don't want to outright paint anyone as like they're the villain that's it like for me I I feel like even creating villainous characters, right? They all have that, the strongest ones have that backstory where you know them a little bit better. But yeah, I think I was just writing it and thinking that I wouldn't have to explain that it was wrong. And then when I got those reviews and and right now my book, the arc of it is out. So that's the like advanced reader's copy and I was able to talk with my editor a little bit and add in just a couple couple extra little like spruces of not necessarily saying like, you know, this is bad, but explaining a little bit more for readers because I, you know, I do think it's a responsibility as a young adult writer to really think about your audience and how things come across uh, to, to say like, you know, this isn't okay. And, and that it does make Shoshana uncomfortable in the same way it made me uncomfortable, even though I didn't approach it head on at the time, because I was still confused and, and didn't want to cause any sort of tension. And I was definitely shy on that team that I was kind of newly walking into, uh, 
knowing that it's still not okay. So that's, that's definitely something that I wrote in and hope that people, especially with the final copy that will be out on September 14th, will really see and understand. So for listeners that don't know, an art copy is an advanced reader copy, which is what I have because I am a book reviewer, which is why I have my hands on the book prior to Stephen. Danny has like a whole secret life, y'all. Y'all think that I'm the one doing shady shit and I'm doing, you know, things that need questioning. Danny's got like a whole second life she doesn't tell anybody about. Reading books isn't shady. I'm just saying, you got a whole, no one knows what you're doing over there. You could have like a whole family, like a whole, a whole family you don't tell anyone about. You review books. I, you moved to Florida mysteriously out of the blue after living in Oklahoma for so long. What drove you out of Oklahoma? What drove you to Florida? Are you moving to Florida because you're closer to the drug kingpins? I don't know. Who knows what's going on down there? That's all I'm saying. Technically, Oklahoma Danny drove me out of Oklahoma. Danny is on Zoom, so she could be anywhere. She could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. My secret life. The book has two very, you've already mentioned both characters, but the perspective the book is written in switches back and forth from their perspective specifically. Yes. How was it writing two very different characters and creating them having their own voice each? Because when you're reading it, you know, like who you're reading from. It's a very first person from each character as you read and they go back and forth. So it's not like section here of one person, section of another. It just, it goes back and forth through the timeline of what's going on. Yeah. When I was sort of loosely prepping for this um, and thinking about, you know, how, where my book started and where it ended uh, the, in the first draft of it, there were actually sections of the nurse's collective perspective. And so that's how the book started. And I kind of forgot about that. Uh, but it, it mainly fell away because the girls were just so much stronger than anything else I could write into it. And a switching off sections of the two of them made it easier for me to write because the second that like I would kind of be falling out of one I'd be like blazing hot with the other um it was a really fluid movement throughout like writing it and both the girls just have really strong voices I think I am closer to Shoshana's character and so in that way hers was easier to write but Rowan Rowan's voice felt so strong to me that it was almost like the words were just coming out on the page. And that is something that really rarely happens, I think, for writers. Not not all writers, but at least for me as a writer. Now, when I'm thinking about characters, it takes a lot to create a character or to think about who they really are. And for Rowan, it felt like it was just there. So her sections, I was kind of able to just like write a sentence and then she would just like take over in in a lot of ways so I think it was important to get both of their perspectives because they see things pretty differently throughout the book and one of the things I'm really proud of is I do feel like I've made them pretty well-rounded characters and that I think their arcs um, go places in the book from the beginning of the end each of them individually wind up places that the reader won't expect. 
you have to kind of work that in gradually throughout the book. And I'm, I've actually agreed to do a different interview where I am making playlists for characters Rowan and Shoshana and trying to figure out what what sounds go with them at the beginning of the book versus the end of the book are so hard because uh really their paths are are just wildly you know at an angle they're not linear so that's one of the things that I'm I'm really proud of when I look back at the book and think that okay I did a good job of making sure they they landed in different places than, you know, where the story began, I guess, emotionally speaking. You said you're doing other interviews. Are they with other podcasts? No. Okay, we're good. Well, okay. Yeah. okay, no, we're good. We're good. Yeah. At the same, I, we were about to get a whole lecture. We're good. You touch on topics within this book that tend to have, like, taboo about them, like, they're touchy subjects for some people, not things necessarily everyone's going to want to read about. So how did you handle writing about those topics? Yeah, I think writing about, I mean, I, I do include like an author's note at the beginning of the book, which I, I yeah, I felt like I needed to include it uh, just to sort of prepare readers that are coming in. I mean, obviously the book um, deals with eating disorders and eating disorder behavior. And there's mention of sexual assault and suicide. And I think I, I tend to be a dark writer. And I think of myself as someone who's not necessarily a dark person, but like gets it out on the page. I think handling, it's like hard to think about handling those topics for me, it's usually about writing the story as authentically as I can, meaning like, how do I stay true to these characters rather than like, well, what am I trying to say? I just hope that what I'm trying to say kind of comes out within the movement of the story. I know like I'm not writing the book as like a self-help book. There, There's just not that impulse from me. The impulse is just, I I heard these girls in my head. They're very much me in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of me that I have not included in this book that I'll plan to write on later on. Um, there's a ton I did research on. And for me, I don't consider myself like a great or even good writer, but I think I am a strong rewriter. So in terms of how I handle them, I try not to worry about that so much when I'm first getting the story out and then as I'm looking at it later on like even down to the line level it's like okay like why what am I saying here and why am I saying it or why is this character saying it because my characters are really flawed I mean I I will say that to anyone who like you know might want to pick up the book where it's like this is not the story that you pick up when you want like happy fluff like definitely not and I think that's important for readers to know going in, hence, again, that that author's note. But I just really want people to read it and, and relate to the characters and know that it's like, okay, not to be perfect. And I think that the pressure on, especially on young people today is outrageous. 
thinking about like the ways in which like cancel culture for like young people who are just growing up and figuring out their way in the world and have been like, you know, there's a bunch of hearsay that they'll, they'll get from everyone. And then if they have like one thing they put out that's on the internet forever. Like I remember being told in middle school, you know, whatever you put out online, like you're not gonna be able to get a job. Right. And things like that, but it just feels so different now. Um, and I think I was kind of consumed by that in terms of like writing about social media's effect on young people, especially on young women. And yeah, I, I, I think I'm not trying to approach those things as like topics. I think they just naturally come out because they're things I'm thinking about. Um, so my characters are usually thinking about them too. So you've written about things in Before We Were Blue that good, bad, or otherwise um, may have been part of your life at some point over your lived experience. Do I make a cameo anywhere in the 336 pages? And if not, what can I look forward to in future novels by E.J. Schwartz? Steven, you're too, you're too pure to be in this book. <laughs> Words that were never spoken. Listeners, this is EJ. So what you don't know is usually guests come on here and they love trashing me. They love just poking fun at me and saying all this crap about me. And Danny is like Lies. number one cheerleader in their corner. A guest just called me pure. These are yeah. all lies. <laughs> I feel like Steven, like you're, you're really great at hyping everyone up and making people feel like really special. And there's, there's not a lot of characters like that in my book. I mean, when I think of, um, when I think of the male characters in this book, actually, Stephen, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to, and you guys can leave it. in. <laughs> but like my, my dad, you know, when he's reading the book and stuff and, um, my partner read the book and the brother of Shoshana is named KJ, which I did to subvert the trope that people would think it was my brother because I'm I go by EJ and I was like, well, if I use initials, no one will think. And then here I am just like announcing it. But he's he's very based off of my brother, Andrew. Uh, and I don't you know, it's not like totally fair for me to say like there's a lot about my brother that I mean, we're just such different people. Stephen could attest, can testify to that all day long. Like he, he does not believe in reading and like, <laughs> um, or just like won't pick up a book. And there's a lot of things, like reasons we don't see the eye, eye to eye with each other. And I wrote into the book, you know, about his like little league baseball games and me kind of tumbling, doing gymnastics on the sidelines. And I wrote about, uh, you know, just him, he, he's not really a video game guy, but he used to like play video games in the basement. He sat on the couch and then like one time fell off backwards and broke his arm. I don't know if you remember that, Steven, but he's nodding his head. He does. Uh, yeah. So I think he's, he's very much based off my brother and um, some of not all there's like friends of, um, of KJ in the novel that Shoshana like, kind of like is trying to figure out her relationship with his friends and what that means to her if if anything and I think that is is partially based off of me with Andrew's friends who uh 
yeah, some of them are good guys, but like Steven, yeah, you're too pure. Sorry. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, look, I remember the Rambling Court crew quite well. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you said, and it's a very kind lie, um, but kind at least, that I'm always happy to hype people up and I'm pure, which I wouldn't even call myself pure. Um, it's very easy to want to support you and promote you because beyond you being someone emotionally intelligent and compassionate beyond your years and someone who truly wants to do good in this world. I've just seen you, as I said earlier, I've seen you go through so many iterations of, of versions of EJ that all come back to the core of someone who, who is kind to those around her, um, but someone who has changed and grown and gone through a lot. Um, and it's funny, as you were saying, as you were talking earlier, I was having flashbacks to you applying to UMD and then Susquehanna and then going through UNC Wilmington and won't even mention kind of the in-between years there during your four years undergrad, right? Like I, I've seen so many different versions of you and to see you now with a fully actualized, you know, published book is just, I, mean, I would say unreal, but that's a lie because, you know, if you had told me you were going to write a book, I'd say, yeah, absolutely you are. Like there's nothing, there's nothing surreal about that to me. Like that's very much something that, um, expect is the wrong word, but um, that I have full, f I would have had full faith and belief that you would do. And, and here you are having done that. So um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't be easier to promote you and, and your passion. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much for like inviting me on and everything. I've still never met the partner. I'm just saying, uh, you know, it's like, I'm supposedly this important family friend who, you know, was there for your stripper bot mitzvah and all this stuff, but I've never met the partner. I'm down in North Carolina. I've never even met him over Zoom. And it's like, here I am, just the guy living by himself with some Harry. It's not like I got shit to do. Um, it's we'll fine. FaceTime. We'll FaceTime. It's, it's fine. I, I, I see what's going on here. It's fine. Um, Danny, do you have anything else you want to say uh, to slash about EJ? Um, and, and if not, we can hop into some creator shout outs for the episode. I think that's it. I can't get over that. Someone just called you pure. <laughs> I'll agree with the hype man. I actually was talking to our friend and this can lead into some shout outs. Our good friend, Carrie from ROR apparel this past weekend. And we were discussing how good of a hype man you actually are for, the people that you care about and the products that you love, such as hers. Well, it's funny because, and first off, Carrie, Brian, I love y'all. Your shirts are so freaking comfy. Um, it, it's funny. I get a lot of questions because I promote stuff a lot, but I don't do it. No one ever gives me free stuff. I, it's, I, I promote the things that I love and I love the things that I promote. Right. And it has like I promote Paula who makes hair bows and I'm sure as <laughs> shit not wearing a hair bow, but I love Paula and Paula is incredible. And yeah, it, it's it's the easiest thing in the world for me to promote the kind, caring, compassionate, loving people who I know who are making their dreams come true. And if I can get one person to go and support my friends, it will be a victory. Right. Like I'll even give some credit right here. We can do a shout out of sorts. I'm pretty sure it was Jocelyn, uh, Travel Style Magic, who is one of the people who, after hearing my numerous plugs for EJ's book in the past, went and followed EJ on Instagram. And I have to imagine purchased the book, or pre ordered the book. Um, like, certainly I want all of our listeners to go and do that, not just Jocelyn. But like, if one person does, that's one more who might not have otherwise. 
So like, it's, it, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's how you got to look at everything. I mean, especially like being a writer or being an artist or you guys doing this podcast. It's like, if you get one avid super fan who just loves it and like it, it you know, gives them such pleasure, you know, able to change their mind on certain things or connect with you guys or connect with um, whatever art you're talking about. I mean, that's, that's all it is. It's like, it's, if it's one person, that's sort of a victim in my book. EJ, one of the things that we do to end every episode here is give shout outs to people who are doing things we enjoy. So I will have one firm and then one possible ask of you. The firm ask is, let our listeners know when and where and how they can support you and Before We Were Blue. And the second ask is if, be it anyone who's been part of your team, whether it's your agent, your editor, et cetera, or just anyone out there, uh, fellow authors, whoever, that you just want to give some love to, uh, feel free to do so. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll first say my book, uh, like we've said, you know, 10 times already, but Before We Were Blue, it comes out September 14th. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's by EJ Schwartz, B-Y-E-J-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z on Twitter. And then it's EJ.Schwartz on Instagram. But I mainly like use Twitter for my my writing stuff and my website, which is EJSchwartz.com. And you can pre-order my book now, which is really exciting. You can get it from Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble's bookshop. Uh, target <laughs> so if you can uh, pre-order it online that would just like mean the world to me I'm just you know I'm a, I'm an indie author so it's like really like all these sales just count for me and beyond the sales aspect of it like I just really hope people will enjoy the story and like let it just kind of take them um away on that what did you say Stephen? 336 pages of uh, a, a journey there so which I just have to say quickly, 336 yeah. pages. Do you want to know what zip code I grew up in in North Carolina? Oh my God, don't say it's 336. 336. Oh my God. That's, or that's area code, not zip code, but whatever. Well, I'm just saying. I did, I'm just going to claim to have done that on purpose. <laughs> just saying. It, it, you know, there we have listeners out there who pull tarot cards and believe in horoscopes and crystals and all that stuff. Mm. there's got there's there's some sort of cosmic thing at play there it's fine it's fine i'm going back on mute it's fine i i I would hope that uh they they'll come out of the woodwork and explain the exact uh definition or meaning of that uh but yeah you can um you can follow me and hopefully buy the book and then i'll just say uh i have a friend um adam gnusi who just released his book it's called girl in the walls and it just came out um just this well last month and i'm just super excited and proud of him he also graduated from uncw with his mfa and he's a really really great guy so if you want to you can go buy his book uh, his book is really, it's doing really well. I think he was on like the bestseller list in the UK because it came out there um, first. So anyway, yeah, you can go buy his book and then mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's a really great guy. Well, before I have a shout out, 
I am going to also say the cover art on the book is gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Like, I truly do love the cover art. That makes me really happy. I like we one. I mean, we didn't talk about the cover art at all, but uh, I was like very adamant that there would be like no bodies on the cover, no faces or anything. And I feel like they they really got it right with like the shoes uh, that are on the cover. So my official shout out is going to be Bewitch Stitch Co. on Instagram. They are into handmade embroidery type of art. And she's also been selling little kits that she does the pattern and supplies you with everything. So that is my shout out for this episode. Listeners, y'all, I don't know when Danny's going to release this. I don't know when Danny does things, but from our episode that we did with Ed from Orchard Works, you may remember during the creator shout out section of that episode, I had found an account, then my phone locked and I lost an account. I spent five minutes searching for it and I could not find it. Um, I found it right after we wrapped the episode and I've had a sticky note sitting on my computer for the past two weeks. Uh, that account, which beautiful, really, really cool photos, like lots of lots of cool edits, uh, some flat lays, and then they recently went to Harry Potter New York, as did I. Go follow Muggle and Khakis, shameless self-plug. Um, at the Potter Stop underscore, um, New York-based Potterhead, Harry Potter YouTuber, uh, Gryffindor, really cool stuff. Um, so shouts to you. But yeah, once again, uh, the book is Before We Were Blue, if you haven't remembered that title by now, I don't know what the hell you were doing for the past hour and change. The author is E.J. Schwartz. The date is September 14th, 2021. You can, of course, pre-order it ahead of time at any good local independent re- uh, retailer that you can find, or, of course, at a company that rhymes with Amazon. Uh, E.J., thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for both of you having me I mean I I've really had a great time and Stephen it's so good to like you know see your face um hear your voice yeah the whole nine I have a face made for podcasting that's what I always say um all right and that's the episode